start this afternoon with uh, retelling a story that I heard recently. In a little kingdom far, far away, uh, there was a good king who ruled with wisdom and justice. His kingdom flourished under his rule, and his subjects were, were happy. And in this kingdom, there was a peasant farmer. He grew vegetables on a small plot of land. In one harvest, he grew the largest, most beautiful carrots he had ever grown. Um, he thought carefully about what to do with them, and then he made his decision. He took his carrots to the king's castle and told him, These are the finest I've ever grown. Because you are a kind and honorable king, and I've been so blessed to live in your kingdom, it would give me great joy for you to have these. As he turned to leave, the king stopped him and said, I see that I can trust you with this. I own a plot of land near yours, and I would like to give it to you to farm. I may be blessed, and may your crops grow bountifully there. A nobleman was watching, uh, listening in to what happened, and he went away thinking, if a basket of carrots gets you a plot of land, well... So a couple days later, he shows up before the king, leading a fine and strong horse. He says, Honorable King, I raise horses, and this is the finest horse I've ever raised. And because you're such a good and kind king, I want you to have it. But the king was not only kind and honorable, he was also wise. So he paused to consider what had just happened. And then he told the nobleman, The man who brought me the carrots brought them for me. But you brought me this horse for yourself. The farmer gave me a gift for my sake, but you've given me this horse for your sake. Of course, you see the point of the story, don't you? Both men brought something significant to the king. They brought their best to the king. But one man brought his best simply to honor the king with, without thought of himself. The other man thought primarily of himself of how making a show of honor to the king might benefit him. He even made a larger gift, right? The horse was much uh, more substantial gift, more substantial sacrifice than a basket of carrots. But it wasn't really given to honor the king. It was an investment in himself that he expected to bring big results. So what does this little story have to do with us? Uh, we're often tempted to be like the nobleman in our service of God. We want to honor him, yes, but often it's primarily because of what's in it for us. We try to serve God, but it's often because we think that's the best option for us in the long run. We've considered our options, looked at God's promises, and decided that the outcome that God gives his children is, is good enough to make it worth it. It's going to be worth the sacrifice. We have this problem, I think, because we naturally have hearts trained to think about our own interests. We're always calculating pros and cons, trying to think about whether what we give up uh, is worth it based on what we gain. Uh, we start that from a very, very small age, right? If you do good things, you get, get good things. And if you do bad things, you get bad things. And, you know, if you do the right thing, people will like you and they'll respect you and, and you won't get in trouble and you won't get caught. And, and uh, so you want to do the right things, right? So we're, we've been trained from a very uh, young age to think about life uh, in this way, uh, by what will work well for us. And so, it's a real obstacle for us to learn to have a heart like the peasant farmer, uh, instead of like the nobleman. A heart that will act uh, out of mo uh, motivated by love and devotion for our king, uh, and not just thinking of ourselves. 
hopefully you can see from the story how uh, shallow even a significant sacrifice can be when it's motivated by self-interest. The nobleman's horse wasn't really for the king because of love or desire to serve, just to gain something for himself. Some of the things that we do for God are really no better. Uh, when God talks about us serving him, he, he communicates to us in a way that encourages us to think seriously about the consequences, both good and bad, of our choices related to serving him. Uh, the Bible's full of promises and warnings, blessings and cursings that are contingent on how we respond to God's will, to God's plan. And God intends for that to motivate us, there's no doubt. He wants us to think about what will happen if we reject him. Uh, he intends for that to, to motivate us, to change us. It's a good starting point, really, in developing a life that honors God, because we need to think that way. But it's not a good ending point. Um, Self-interest might get us moving in the right direction, but it's not the destination. Uh, if our own interest is the highest motivation we have, it may make us outwardly compliant with God's will. Uh, but it won't make us inwardly compliant. Uh, if we're convinced God's way will give us a better life here and, uh, and get us to heaven in the end, we can often shape up our lives well enough to do a lot of what God wants. But we may still be living fundamentally for ourselves. Uh, although we may be outwardly compliant Christians, living this way will probably make us inwardly resent all we're having to do. And probably work to make us resent the God for whom we're having to do it for. So while God teaches us to consider the consequences of living either for or against him, he wants us to be living for something more, something higher. So today we want to reflect on what motivates us. We read a few minutes ago in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. And if you would take out your Bibles and turn there to Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. We're going to take a closer look at this text uh, because I think it gives us uh, an incredible big picture introduction to God's purposes for us. And there are really two things that I want to draw your attention to here. One is God's desire to bless us. And the second is God's ultimate purpose for us. And so we're going to look at this text twice. Uh, we're going to highlight some different words each time that we look at it to, to bring out these two points. First, God's desire to bless us. But second, God's ultimate purpose for us. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us, in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. God clearly wants to bless us. Verse 3 says he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Verse 4 tells us he chose us before the foundation of the world. Verse 5, it's his good pleasure for us to be his children. And and it goes on. You notice the phrases that we underlined here. Uh, Our good is clearly a part of God's plan. There's no doubt about it. Blessing us is, in fact, such a powerful part of God's plan, his mission, that he was willing to sacrifice Jesus to make blessing us possible. And so God tells us that if we, if we serve him, he will bless us. But the aim of our serving uh, isn't just these blessings that we receive from God. What's in it for us? Look at these verses again. In verse 4, he chose us. Um, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Why does he bless us this way? It's so that we will love him. In verse 6, that we would be to the praise of the glory of his grace. Our lives would be to to praise him, the glory of his grace. Um, In verse 10, that he might gather together in one all things in Christ, which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. God wants us to be with Him, to be close to Him. Verse 12, that we should be to the praise of His glory. And again in verse 14, to the praise of His glory. You notice that phrase several times here, right? I think that's because we're intended not to miss the point. Uh, This is the primary purpose for which God seeks to bless us. He wants us to be to the praise of His glory. That it be His goodness uh, that, that motivates us to love Him and serve Him. God's aim for our lives is that, that He be praised, that His glory shows and shines. And, uh, but we have trouble keeping that focus, don't we? Again, we all from a very young age have been conditioned to meet our needs, to do what works for us, to look out for our best interests. Um, it seems like it's our default. It's the thing that we uh, naturally turn to. But let's look over a passage in Zechariah 7. Zechariah 7, verses 4 through 6. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Say to all the people of the land and to the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, these seventy years, was it actually for me that you fasted? When you eat and drank... Do you not eat for yourselves, and do you not drink for yourselves? You see the contrast here, right? God sees through the sacrifice that's really offered uh, selfishly. God says, was it actually even for me? When you came here today, uh, was it actually for God? Or was it, if you don't come, people won't respect you, people won't like you, they'll think you're a bad person, you come because you ought to. Um, Why are you here? Well, the people that Zechariah was speaking to were here. I mean, they showed up to worship, but was it actually for God? Were the things that they were doing actually for Him? What appeared to be serving God was actually people serving themselves. More than God's glory, they wanted their own desire. And so even even as they were offering what appeared to be worship, God saw through to their hearts. Turn over to Isaiah 58. This is going to be a little bit longer reading in Isaiah 58. 
you'll find this a little bit disorienting, I think, um, because the first verse and the second verse uh, seem almost contradictory. Um, in the first verse, Isaiah is told, Cry loudly, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, and declare to my people their transgression, and to the house of Jacob their sins. Okay, so God is telling Isaiah, you need to tell these people what they're doing wrong. Tell them their sin. And in verse 2, it says, Yet they seek me day by day, and delight to know my ways, as a nation that has done righteousness, and has not forsaken the ordinance of their God. They ask me for just decisions. They delight in the nearness of God. So if we just read verse 2, you would think these are people doing quite well, wouldn't you? But God has uh, something to say to these people who see themselves as doing quite well. Uh, he wants to, to uh, Isaiah to declare to them their sin. What was the problem? They, they say that they're uh, delighting in God's ways and doing righteousness, not forsaking his uh, ordinances. They see themselves as doing pretty well, so they're confused in verse 3, and they, uh, because it's not working out the way they expected it to. Why have we fasted, and you do not see? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you do not notice? In other words, you know, God, we've, we've kept our part of the deal here. We're doing the right thing, so why is it not working out? Um, and so God responds, Behold, on the day of your fast you find your desire, and drive hard all your workers. Behold, you fast for contention and strife, and to strike with a wicked fist. You do not fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast like this which I choose, a day for a man to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed, and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast which I choose, to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free? And break every yoke. Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry, and bring the homeless poor into the house, when you see the naked to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light will break out like the dawn, and your recovery will speedily spring forth, and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard, then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, and if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness, and your gloom will become like midday. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones. And you will be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations, and you will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. Verses 13 and 14, uh, I especially want you to take note of. If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure, and speaking your own word, then you will take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. And I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This passage has a lot to say about doing the right kinds of things. Living the right way, right? Uh, you could see it as a list of rules. You know, do good to the poor. Don't take advantage of others. 
be fair and just and generous, be sincere in your worship to God. And God tells them that doing those things will work out better for them. Uh, but if that's all you got from this passage, you've, you've missed the point. God doesn't want their only motive to be that it will work out better for them. In verses 13 and 14 especially, the heart motive that God wants uh, to motivate us is our delight in Him. Um, God wants us to stop doing our own pleasure, stop seeking our own way, stop speaking our own ideas, and instead take delight in the Lord. When we learn to, to delight in the Lord, our living will be what He wants. We will do the things that He wants us to do, but it's for a different reason. It's because we want to please Him. Um, we want to honor Him, not just because we want what it gets us. Uh, we'll serve and sacrifice because we're so full of gratitude for what God has done. And only then will our acts of service and sacrifice really be meaningful. When they're offered to God because of who He is and because of what He's done. And not just because it'll work out better for us. Turn over to 2 Corinthians 5, 14-17. 2 Corinthians 5, 14-17. I think this powerfully summarizes what our perspective ought to be on uh, the motivation behind our service to God. Verse 14 says, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. Now the wording of that verse I think is a little confusing, uh, at least to me when it says, then all died. What does that mean? If one died for all, then all died. Uh, what I understand it to be saying is that the very reason Christ had to die to give his life for all is because we were all dead in our sin. Uh, Christ's death for all just proves that all needed his death, that you needed his death, and that I needed his death. And we needed his death because we have all chosen to live with the highest goal of our own self-interest, haven't we? Our own will as the only will that mattered. Our decisions based on what we thought would work out best for us, what we wanted to do. And living like that left us dead. But God was not content to leave us dead, living by calculating what would work out best for us. He died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In our new life with Christ, what compels us, what motivates us, is not the shining crown at the end, although that's part of the blessing of God. What motivates us is the love of Christ. That's what compels us. We've got such a good king to honor. And so our lives would be gladly spent to honor that king. Um, he's already proven so powerfully his love for us. Uh, I realize I have a lot of progress to make on this, and uh, perhaps you have some progress to make too. But part of making progress is seeing that there's a need for progress. You know, you've noticed runners in a race, they keep pushing hard until they get to the finish line, right? And once they know they've arrived, they stop, they slow down. 
sometimes we stop and slow down before we're actually at the goal for which God redeemed us. He doesn't want us to say, all right, I've got my ticket to heaven and, and stop and slow down there without developing in maturity to be the kind of people who would offer him a real sacrifice and real service, not for what's in it for us, but simply to honor and thank him, to show him glory. So wherever you are in your relationship with God, let's commit to growing closer to what God wants us to be, to truly honoring our King with our lives. Uh, if there's a way that uh, the church here can help you make progress in your relationship with God this afternoon, we, we want to help you with that. It will work out better for you, yes. Uh, there's no doubt about that. God is a good God, and He wants to bless us all. Uh, but what really matters is that it will bring glory to the God who showed Himself to be so abundantly good and kind toward us. If there's anything that you need prayers for uh, or assistance with, let someone here know before you leave this afternoon. Or don't even wait until this song is over. Uh, we, we want to help you make progress in your relationship with God.